0: welcome to in the author's voice i'm jeff williams in 1980 producer jonathan sanger's first feature film debuted that movie was the elephant man it starred john hurt Anne bancroft anthony hopkins and john Gielgud. it also helped launch the career of director david lynch jonathan sanger is out with a new memoir making the elephant man i recently talked with him about the book
1: well, it's it's an interesting thing. Uh, over the last few years, I've been working uh, producing independent films. Uh, I had worked prior to that uh, producing studio, you know, mainly studio films. And, um, and there is a kind of a difference. And, and it brought back the memories of this time in uh, 1980, actually, 79, 80, when I made The Elephant Man, which was my first movie. And, um, I had been prior to that an a production manager and assistant director on movies, but I had never produced a movie before. And, um, my babysitter, uh, brought me, I had two young sons and my babysitter asked me if I would read her boyfriend's script. And, uh, saying, you know, I said, yes, because I was reading everything I could and trying to figure out a way to move forward into the business. And, uh, uh, she brought me the script. And um, sometime later, actually, after she'd stopped working for me, I had read it. I didn't read it immediately. But when I did read it, I realized how, what a good story it was, what an amazing story it was, a true story about uh, kind of an unfortunate man in the 1800s who uh, was basically saved by a doctor. And uh, it was just a wonderful a wonderful human story. And at the time, I had been working for Mel Brooks. I was working as Mel Brooks' assistant director on a movie called High Anxiety. And um, and I became really close with Mel. And um, he had asked me right after the movie if I would work with his wife, Ann Bancroft, because she was going to be directing a movie called Fatso. And he wanted somebody that, uh, he trusted to work with her and I became that person. So, um, in the meantime, I had optioned to screenplay on my own. And, um, one day when I was in New York, uh, scouting locations with his wife, he was in Los Angeles and he had picked up the script I had left on the desk to read. And it was the elephant man. He called me up and he said, Hey, I just read this script and it has your name on it. You know, uh, what is it? And I said, well, uh, I optioned it. I explained to him, you know, about the writers. And he said, well, I'm starting a new company to make movies other than my own comedies. And I'd love to talk to you about maybe making this the first movie. Well, this was an incredible, incredible thought that Mel Brooks was going to help me. And, uh, it was pretty unlikely also because, uh, of his history of making comedies. I didn't, under- I didn't know that he had a very, uh, strong, sense of drama which he did and does and um in any event I came back to LA sat down met with him and he uh, arranged to help me get this movie funded and made and one of the conditions oddly enough was that he said look I I'll I'm I, you know I'm happy to be the executive producer but I don't want to take any credit on it because everybody who sees my name will automatically assume a movie called the elephant man is a comedy. Sure. So we'll just call it Brook. you know, Brooks films is, will be my company. And um, I know you and I trust you. And I think you'll be a great producer and uh, we'll, you know, we'll get it going. So that was how it started. And, and it was one of those magical things that, you know, uh, you realize later, only later, you realize how magical it was. I thought this was the way the business went. You know, everything went along. you meet somebody great. They they help you, and things happen. And uh, everything about this movie was was magical in that respect because I had met David Lynch uh, around that time, not because I thought he was the right guy to direct this movie, but because I was fascinated by the fact that he had made a movie called Eraserhead that I had seen, and nobody really knew him. But um, he and I were sharing stories about what we were doing, and I told him I was doing a movie called Elfman. And he told me he was doing a, a movie that he was trying to do. And But when he heard what I told him, he said, boy, I'd love to read that. And we exchanged scripts. And once he had read it, he called me up and he said, oh, I love this. I love this. I know how to make this. I know what to do. So as it turned out, David and I wound up, I mean, Mel supported the making of the movie, helped with me, we went around to all the major studios He took me with him, and we had set meetings and we were able to raise the initial money that we needed and and the two of us went to London and made a movie and it was uh, and it was it was a magical situation also because if it had happened in in Hollywood, I think people would have looked at David and not really quite understood him. He was very eccentric in some ways and they you know the, whereas in London they just looked at us and they said, "Well, they're both Americans, you know. That's how <laughs> Americans are." Yeah,
0: this this film had such such an amazing an amazing cast. As a producer, and especially on your, on your very first picture, how much how much influence or input did you have in 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 getting in pulling this cast together?
1: Actually, I, so oddly enough, I, I I don't think in my entire career, and I'm i now I have a movie, two movies coming out this year, but I mean, never had as much. Uh, ability to be involved in the process at the highest levels, because Mel, uh, I mean, people assumed later that Mel, uh, suggest, you know, not suggested, but wanted us to use Ann Bancroft. That wasn't the case. I mean, Mel, Mel had mentioned that she might be interested, but it was entirely our decision to, to go to her. John Hurt was also something that came out of uh, a combination of, of issues that Mel and I had seen him in. A movie called uh, *The Naked Civil Servant* about uh, this uh, dandy from London, this English uh, uh, brilliant, brilliant guy, and and who is uh, and John had done a movie about him, uh, and he was great. And we brought that that idea to David Lynch. Um, Other than that, David and I cast everybody else in the movie. We went while we were in London with a great casting director. We met with John Gielgud. We met with uh, Wendy Hiller. Anthony Hopkins really came from Anne, who had suggested him, because she had worked with him and said, you really should see this guy. He's amazing. And, and it was early in... I mean, Anthony Hopkins was already a well-known actor. He'd been in a number of terrific movies. But, um, you know, she just she had worked with him once, and she said, oh, you really... And we had other people in mind. We were looking at uh, Alan Bates and a couple of other names. And But Anthony Hopkins, when he read the script, immediately jumped aboard and said, no, I want to do this. Even his agent didn't even want him to do it. His agent was looking for him to do romantic comedies and change his change his kind of style. And, but he read this and said, no, I have to do this. So we, we got, um, you know, the script really helped us get to most of these people. And in England it was it was even easier because um, at that time, actors uh, in theater and film and commercials and everything, actors did everything. Whereas at that time in the U.S., if you worked in film, you didn't work in television. You know, I mean, everything was sure. kind of stratified sure. a little more. But in England, everybody was willing to, you know, I mean, you could get John Gielgud to come into an office and read for you. I mean, it was <laughs> it was miraculous. You know, both David and I couldn't believe it. I mean, this was a guy... Who was uh, just one of the greats of all time, and very quiet. And he would say to David, uh, "You know, you want a little more? You want a little?" I mean, he would he would ask David for advice, and David was uh, couldn't believe it. He said, "You know, this guy is just fantastic." So, uh, you know, we were able to get uh, just wonderful actors in every in every role. We had a terrific casting director named Maggie Cartier, who was um, had done. movies there so you know we were relying on some solid people but we were the ones we were the neophytes we were the we were the ones who were trying to keep up with the people we were working with but it was great fun you know and it was one of those experiences that you know in some ways unfortunate because after that i thought oh it's always going to be like this how great it is and it almost never has been like that i mean it has never been as as comforting and as easy as that process turned out to be at the time so we were we really uh, only realized
0: later how lucky we were, you know. Well, I was going to ask you, there's been been a lot of talk lately because of all the all the great kind of independent movies that have filtered up mm-hmm. about the blacklist and about all these great films, but yet they're not the next generation of Iron Man. And so would The elephant Man have been made if you had to solely rely on, on mainstream?
1: I highly Hollywood. doubt it. No, I highly doubt it. And in fact, I think after we made it, it, it didn't get easier it got even harder i mean we made it because we made it for a very uh, you know uh, a, a tight budget and uh and and just uh, an opportunity to do it outside the system we had uh we wound up getting paramount to put up money for for distribution but um we didn't ask them for money to fund the movie because um and one of the reasons actually interesting because you asked me a question about why to, why this book now? Well, um, the model that we used to make that movie at that time is exactly the model that independent movies are taking today, and didn't in those days. In those days, there were very few independent movies because there were very few um, sources of, in, uh, of money other than studios. Uh, there were no ancillary markets to, to the way they are now. There were, you know, there was there was television, you know, free television, and there was. Uh, you know, cassettes, but just the beginning of cassettes at the time. So there weren't a lot of places you could go for additional money, but that, but that's what we did. We went to every place we could go to to raise enough to be able to make it. Um, nowadays, it is that model that has become the prevailing model. I just made a movie um, that's going to be opening in not until October. It's called Marshall. It's with Chadwick Bozeman. It's an independent movie, and it's a wonderful movie. Um, and uh, it was made entirely on the independent model so that we, you get a studio to distribute it, but it, the funding doesn't come from the studio necessarily. It comes from uh, private sources, and it's a different way of... Of making movies, the banking of it is all different
0: now. As 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 your career has moved on as a producer, mm-hmm. what what really trips your trigger creatively? What are you looking for when you're still?
1: You know, it's movies? still it's still great scripts, great 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 stories are really the thing that I am most moved by. And the truth of it is, um, while I, I I have made movies at major all the major studios at one point or another over the last you know thirty five years, um, <clears throat> I find that uh, the, the key is always in the material and then ultimately finding the best talent that you possibly can to do it. And, and major studios, as you mentioned, are making amusement park rides. And, you know, I mean, they're doing comic books and they're doing superheroes and those things I like to see, but that's not the thing that moves me as a, as a filmmaker. I want to make movies that have great stories. And I think most of the, most of the Academy Award nominees this year and every year Tend to be those kind of movies—the spotlights, the, the you know, the, the moonlight. Those kind of movies that uh, uh,
0: tell great stories. We have a film school, a cinema and photography school here at, at the university where we're where we're located. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of a lot of students that are these c- new creative young minds ready to get into the into, mm-hmm. the, into the business. Mm-hmm. What what wisdom would you impart on 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 those looking to become you know producers and directors now? They're getting ready to.
1: Well, I'll tell you, figures. I. I, I I, I think I, I would certainly uh, say that talent is the, is, is the first level that you have to have to get into the business, but certainly not necessarily even the most important. I mean, it's important to have it, but it isn't enough. And, uh, I mean, the, the the willingness to really work whatever it takes to get and to stay in this world is a tough – I mean, it's a tough business. It's a very tough business. Um, I found that uh, over the last 15 years, you know, most of my time is spent trying to raise money for things, you know, and, and not even though um, the creative side is really what I'm most interested in. But uh, you have to get involved and you have to be willing to understand what it takes to, uh, you know, to save money, make make something as inexpensively as you can and as well as you can. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a tough world. I, I've taught. In film schools in California, I taught at uh, USC, I have taught at um, uh, Chapman University, which has a a film school, and um, I find that uh, the students tend to be very impatient. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) you know, when I say I made my first movie, you know, I I was 33 or something like that, they said, 33, my God, you were so old, and I said, so old, I was so young. You know, I didn't think of myself as being old at that time. No, they want to make their first movie at 22, you know, or 21 or just just out of school. I said, well, good, you know, that's great. But you don't want to, be, you know, if you if you find how difficult it's going to be and it discourages you, that's, that's the killer. You know, you can't get discouraged by uh, a lot of feedback that is not going to make it easy for you. You have to just keep plugging at it, find ways. I mean, the means are greater now than they've ever been in terms of cam, you know, lightweight cameras and lightweight equipment and all kinds of things that you can do yourself that you couldn't do before. So, because of that, you have to find ways to get it made, you know, and not always look to the, you know, to the biggest studio and the only one way to do it. You have to find other ways to keep going. But it's a, you know, I I, I think also. Those, those people who do read my book will see that it's, uh, I mean, they'll see the way somebody who is really at the beginning of their career manages to deal with the, the elements and hands that, that, that come along and, and and what you need to do in order to stay with it. It's, it's uh,
0: quite a job. That's producer Jonathan Sanger. His new memoir is Making the Elephant Man from McFarland and Company Publishing. He has two new independent films out this year, Chapter and Verse about a reformed Harlem gangster and Marshall about the early law career of U.S. Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall. In the Author's Voice is a listener-supported service of WSIU Radio and Southern Illinois University. I'm Jeff Williams.